and it's mainly because of our online viewers. If I use the pulpit mic, they, they really won't be able to hear very well, so we'll, we'll go with this. I feel like a guitarist right now. I'm not sure I could play the guitar, though. My life verse is, by the way, that was wonderful singing, and we appreciate Mike uh, participating and leading in worship today. Um, it's awesome to have our young folks um, uh, serving the Lord in this way. My life verse is Romans 15, 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. When we believe in God and we trust in him, it brings hope to our life because we know that our life is safe, it is secure, that we are in God's hands now in this life and for all of eternity. When you don't have God in your life, you really have to grapple for any kind of foundation to meaning and purpose and uh, security in your life. We know that in this life, life is hard, it is full of difficulties, but God is with us and he's helping us and he's redeeming even the evil that comes into our life. Faith in God ultimately brings us uh, hope for, for, future, for the future, the, 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 even beyond this life. Our faith informs us that there is a brighter day coming. As Paul wrote in Corinthians, the glory that awaits us in the next life far outweighs the difficulties that we can face in this life. And so our faith gives us reasons to have hope. And that's the name of our current series. And it's really a series of messages on apologetics. And before any more uh, smart alecks say that apologetics, I'm not going to apologize for being a Christian, that's not what the word means at all. It actually means the opposite. It means to give a defense for what we believe and the reasons for what we believe. Do you know what 1 Peter 3.15 says? Have you looked at that verse lately? Uh, it's a verse that I believe every child of God should highlight. Not so much in your Bible, although that's fine too. You should highlight this verse in your heart and in your mind when it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, there are two categories for evidence for God. The first one is called general revelation. And I'm reviewing a little bit here, but that's uh, good for emphasis and learning. Uh, general revelation is the evidence that can be seen by everyone, everywhere. It's seen in all of creation and in every human heart. One of the programs on television that I've enjoyed watching over the, over the years is a program called Alone. And they put these people out in the middle of the wilderness in Patagonia or in the Arctic Circle or in Vancouver Island in these very remote uh, isolated places, and they're there completely alone, and they have to see which one can survive the longest. They're not around each other. They're miles apart, completely isolated, with nothing but about 10 items they can bring in. They have to find their own food. They have to build their own shelter. They have to survive the oncoming winter in each of these places. It's very harsh, and literally, the way the program ends up playing out is they end up starving, 
And the one that can starve for the longest usually ends up winning. They very seldom find enough food to sustain themselves more than a couple of months. And what is interesting is how these individuals are in the, uh, the wilderness in some very beautiful and majestic places. And they, they, they are in awe of the natural beauty and world around them, but they have no one to express that beauty to. If they're not a believer anyway, they don't know what to do with this overwhelming sense of awe. Who do they direct it to? They're actually in awe of awe. When in reality, that that awesome feeling is there to point us to God. And so and it's all around them, and they and and the uh, the lost person cannot make the connection between the creation and the creator that it points to. And while they're out there looking at all of the beautiful creation and living amongst it, then they begin to starve. And so they're grappling to catch a fish or to catch a rabbit. And when they finally catch some kind of food, they are like so ecstatic and they're so thankful that they found something to live another day. But you know what? If they're not a believer, they don't know what to do with that feeling of gratitude and thanksgiving. And they're literally on national television thanking a dead fish. Thank you for giving your life for me. Or thank you, rabbit, for... Do you think that rabbit voluntarily sacrificed itself so they could eat another day? Why are they thanking the rabbit? Because in their hearts is a a sense, a reality, that there is something bigger than me that is helping to sustain me, but they can't admit that it's God. But God has placed in creation his thumbprint for all to see. He has placed in every human heart a sense of a transcendent God and being. And that is general revelation. Everyone sees this. Everyone feels it. But many times they deny what those feelings and those seeings point to. But there's a second category, and that is what we would call special revelation. And this is... Uh, supernatural ways, not natural ways, but supernatural ways that, that the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible has made himself known. The most obvious one is God's Word, the Bible. We would call that supernatural revelation because God gave it to, human, to, to humanity through human writers inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. In just a couple of weeks, uh, Judson Judson Schmucker from our church family, he's going to be speaking to us about this topic of the trustworthiness and the reliability of the scriptures. And so he's going to bring us an apologetic for God's word that we believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. Why do we believe that? Based upon what? And that will be the message in just a few weeks. But there is a a second reason that we can have hope in a supernatural way, and that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the ultimate revelation of God to humanity. And and so the title of our message this morning is that, that God became man. We saw, first of all, a few weeks ago, that God is. He exists. And then we said that God created, and he's revealed himself in the created world. And then we said that uh, God has revealed himself to us through his word. And today we're going to look more closely 
of the fact that, that God became a man and he reveals himself to us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to see this, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel according to John chapter 10. The Gospel according to John chapter 10. And, and in the Black Pew Bible, if you're using that Bible, it's on page 1,235. Actually, I think we're going to begin reading on page 1,235. 36, perhaps, page 1236 in the Black Pew Bible. Now, I always encourage you to look with me into God's Word to see these things for yourself. And as we think of the Gospel of John, I think most of us are aware that there are four Gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. The word Gospel means good news. And the four Gospels are written by four different authors, men who uh, walked with Jesus and saw his miracles, heard his teachings, and they recorded these things for us. And, and the, the four Gospels uh, give us four different perspectives. They don't contradict one another, rather they complement each other. And so by reading all four, you hear the same story from four different perspectives, and it gives you a more complete, well-rounded understanding of the story. For example, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew wrote to the Jewish people to show them that Jesus was king. Mark wrote to the Roman people to show that Jesus uh, as the servant of God. Luke wrote to the Greeks to show, show that Jesus was a man. And John wrote to the entire world to show us that Jesus was God. So he was a king that was also a servant, and he was a man who was also God. He was the God-man. And the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, really, where uh, was read for us in our, in our reading at the opening of our service, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's the special revelation. The the, the Word who is God came down and became flesh and lived and walked among humanity, revealing Himself, revealing God to the world. So it's very clear from the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John believed that Jesus was God. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John was to show and demonstrate and prove the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an entire book of the Bible because some people want to say that you know, Jesus never really claimed to be God, that years later his followers uh, made that claim and presented him as God, but Jesus never really made that claim for himself. And we're going to see different this morning from the Gospel of John. John wrote this book to prove and to show that Jesus was and is God. So we're going to look at four witnesses. You know, there's different kinds of evidence. There's scientific evidence, and we are all about that in our modern day. Science uh, holds a very prominent place in our society, in our culture, in our minds. But it's important to remember that there are other kinds of evidence that aren't necessarily scientific evidence. They would be more like historical evidence. Can you scientifically prove that George Washington was the first president of the United States? Well, no, I don't think you really can by science. You can't put that in a test tube or in a laboratory. 
However, you can prove that George Washington was the first president of the United States with historical evidence. There are documents, there are papers that are signed, there are, are many people who lived at that time who wrote about him and gave witness to him, and it is a common understanding. So there's all kinds of evidence that wouldn't be called, and, and this is many times in a court of law. You can use forensics, you can use science, but many, many times the evidence that is uh, beyond a reasonable doubt is historical evidence. A witness saw him. People say, people were there, and there are documents, there are, there's a paper trail, there's some kinds of different evidences that point to the fact that at a point in time in history, such and such happened. And that's what we see here in the Gospels, for example. And we're going to look at four witnesses. And the first witness is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He claimed to be God. He believed to be himself to be God, and he said that he was God. For example, in uh, John 5.18, I'll tell you what, if you want to look at these, we're going to look at them very quickly. We're just going to work our way very quickly to John 10. But uh, you can jot these down, or you can look at them with me. They're not far, because you just turn back a few pages in John 5 and verse 18. It says, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So uh, here Jesus uh, is claiming to be God, that he is equal with the father, that, that um, God was his father. And, and so here is a claim, an, op, an occasion where he is claiming to be equal with God. And then if you turn over to John 8, in verses 56 through 59, here is Jesus speaking again, and he says this. He says, your father Abraham, he was speaking to the Jewish leaders there, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I think if you're familiar with those passages, you know what's going on here. Jesus claimed to, be, to present himself to Abraham. And you can go back and you can look at the story that he's referring to. And he's saying that at that time when the angel of the Lord came to Abraham's tent, Jesus is saying, that was me. And when uh, Moses looked into the burning bush and, and he asked, what is the name of God? And God spoke from the bush, say that I am has sent you. Jesus is claiming that was me back there in that burning bush. I am, I am the I am. I am God. And the Jewish people understood this perfectly well. When it says in verse 57, the Jews, and it said it in chapter 5, and we're going to look at it again, I think, in chapter 10. When it says the Jews, it's, that's kind of a synonym for the Jewish religious leaders. That's who he's talking to, and that's what he means by this. It's kind of a, a proper name for uh, the, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the, uh, the high priests, 
These are the ones that he's addressing with this term. And they said to him back, you're not even 50 years old. How is it possible? Well, I'm actually, I may appear to be 30 years old, and I am in my human life on this earth, but I am actually the ancient of days. I am the eternal God. And so assuredly, I was back there presenting myself to Abraham, speaking to Moses. That was me. Jesus is claiming to be God. And, and you know what? Um, this really brings us to our second witness. Because the Jewish rabbis understood what he was claiming to be. They understood what he was saying. Look at verse 59 of, of chapter 8 there, if you would. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple and going through their midst and so passed away. They, why, why did they pick up stones to throw at him? For blasphemy. Because they understood what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be God. And they are, they are giving witness to what Jesus was claiming, that he claimed to be God, because that's how they understood it in that moment. And so that's our second witnesses, that Jesus claimed to be God, is that the Jewish rabbis and the crowds believed him to be claiming to, to be God. Now let's turn back to John 10, where we originally turned to, and um, we're going to look Well, we're going to begin in verse 19, and we're, we're not going to look at every single section of this, but we are going to read through it and make a few comments. Uh, John 10 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, and it's the Good Shepherd, and where Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd, and there's just so much, it's so rich in so many ways. Let's begin reading in verse 19, where it says, Therefore, there was a division among the Jews. Now, who are the Jews? They are the religious leaders and rabbis. It's not necessarily the, the populace of Jewish people. This is a proper name for the religious leaders. And, and they began to say in verse 20, he has a demon and is mad. That's why he's claiming to be God, because he's insane or he's demon-possessed. Why do you listen to him? And the others, now that's the populace, right? They were being admonished, and this is their answer. These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So they're saying, no, he, he, he's not talking crazy talk. Uh, and he's claiming to be God, but he's speaking truth. He's speaking authoritative words that have real meaning in our lives. And he's performing miracles. So he's authenticating his message by supernatural miracles. And um, so then in verse 22, we move forward to another episode, but it's very similar. It says here, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. The, the, he, the, the Hebrew word for dedication is Hanukkah. So this is around December. This, they were observing Hanukkah at this time, and that's why it was winter. In verse 23, Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. He had told them plainly in chapter 5 and in chapter 8, but they wouldn't believe him. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name... They bear witness of me, 
We said last week that one of the purposes of miracles is to authenticate the message and the messenger. And that's what we see here in the ministry of Jesus. He performed miracles of compassion, not just to care for people and help people, but perhaps even a more major purpose, if I can say that, was to uh, authenticate that he was who he claimed to be and that he was truly from God, that he was God. And... Um, and he goes on and he says, verse 26, But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. That's why that's my favorite passage in, in one of my favorite chapters. And that's an entire message of its own. Uh, who are Jesus' sheep and what, what do they possess? And what are the characteristics of Jesus' sheep? And, but verse 30 is more pertinent to our message this morning when he says, I and my Father are one. Now, right here, this is the most explicit declaration that Jesus is God in all of the Bible. Because when he said, I and my Father are one, he's not saying that we're one in purpose or that we're one in mission or we're one in, in unity or uh, anything like that. He is saying we are one in essence. We are one in nature. We are complete. We are one in power. We are completely equal in every single way. I and my Father are one in the same. And, and we know this because in verse 31, look what happens. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Again, they knew what he was saying. Jesus uh, answered and said, Many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him and saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So was he claiming to be God? Absolutely he was. Now I want to I quote for you um, C.S. Lewis from his book Mere Christianity because he speaks to this very matter. Who do you say that Jesus is? How would you explain the person of Jesus? Would you say that he was just a good moral teacher, that he was a prophet, or how would you explain the person of Jesus? And uh, this is C.S. Lewis. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. 
You, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us, and he did not intend to. You see, um, a good moral teacher would not claim to be God. And so if he's claiming to be God, he's not a good person. He might be a crazy person. He might be a demon. But then you have to look at, at uh, the evidence. And as the, the people there said, uh, a demon would not do all of these good works. A demon could not do all of these miracles. And, um, and so it's very evident that Jesus claimed to be God. It's very evident that the, the Jewish rabbis understood this claim. And, and, and we see also the third witness in our case for Jesus Christ being God is that the disciples believed he was God. They give witness to the fact that he was God. And we've already looked at uh, the apostles John, John's writing in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The disciples, like John, believed he, him to be God. Paul in Titus 2 says, calls Jesus our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great God. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says that the Son, the Son, Jesus Christ the Son, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. In Hebrews 1.8, just a few, five verses later, but all the Son, but about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be your scepter. So, and and, and um, the apostles believed Jesus to be God. Turn, turn forward now in the Gospel of John to chapter 20. And I want you to see uh, again how the disciples believed he was God. Now we're getting into a part of the Easter story. I want to encourage you right now, over these next couple of months, I want to encourage you to, be re to perhaps begin reading the Gospels, even the Gospel of John. You know, there's perhaps someone here today, um, and you don't have a lot of reason for hope in your life, or you feel like your faith is weak at this moment, or you, you lack spiritual strength in your heart and in your soul, read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel stories. And between now and Easter, if you read the Gospel of John every week, uh, between now and Easter, I guarantee you, your faith will be strengthened. You will see Christ in a new and more personal way. Because I can read these verses, and I can encourage your faith, but it's up to you to develop your faith. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but I can't believe for you. And, and, and so by reading it ourselves and reading the testimonies and the witnesses and experiencing it for ourselves, something very dynamic and powerful happens in our hearts and, and our faith grows stronger and we have more hope in our life. And that's what we see happening here in John 20. Notice, now this is um, after the, our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. 
and he was buried, and he rose again. Now, I think uh, you, many of you are aware that after Jesus rose alive from the dead, he continued on this earth for about 40 days in his glorified state. And he appeared several different times to different groups of people. And we see one of those here in John 20. Notice in verse 24. Now, Thomas, called the twin... Your old King James might say Didymus. Thomas was a twin, apparently. We don't know his twin, but apparently he had a twin. Thomas was one of the 12 apostles. But he was not with them when Jesus appeared the first time, it says. He, He happened to be absent. You know, he was like some of us. He was running late for church that day. You know, he really struggled to get to the 830 service. And so he wasn't there. You know, he drug in at 11 o'clock like all the lazy Christians do, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't stone me. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas, you know, I've said this before, he was from Missouri, right? He wanted to see it for himself. Uh, You just thought he was from the Middle East. He was actually from the state of misery, state of Missouri. Thomas was skeptical. Hey, I think, I think we can all be skeptical at different times. They're getting out because they're from Missouri and they're offended <laughs> that I said that. You know, I, I get the skepticism. We know a little bit about Thomas and his personality. Uh, but let's see what happens in verse 26. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside. They were gathered in this room where they were tending to gather, and, and really these were, if you do the math and you, do the, you work out the, the calendar here, these were Sundays. So immediately after, the, our Lord Jesus Christ resurrected on a Sunday, and from really since then, the followers of Jesus Christ have had the custom of gathering on Sundays. That's where it comes from. In the Old Testament, they gathered on Saturday. In the New Testament, they gathered every eight days on Sundays to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here it is eight days later. His disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them on this occasion. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, You know, he confronted Thomas about his unbelief. And he said, Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas didn't touch his hands. Thomas Thomas felt, I think on some level, um, uh, rebuked or on some level felt bad. For his unbelief, I mean, he had seen a lot of miracles over the past three years. He should have already been convinced. But for whatever reason, what was Thomas's reaction? He fell at Jesus' feet and he said, my Lord and my God. Okay, so this is a witness. This is one of the apostles. And all of them were witnesses to the fact that Jesus 
was God. They believed he was God. They, they had lived with him for these years. And, and so they each one believed this. And listen, they dedicated their lives to this. From that moment on, they became these, uh, they went from being these cowering, fearful, hiding in a room, afraid that the Romans were going to crucify them next. But when they saw the risen Lord and they knew what had happened and they became convinced of the reality of Jesus' deity and his resurrection, they became these bold, courageous, flaming evangelists that went to the far-flung corners of the world proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They believed it with all of their hearts. You know, and it was a time when, it's not like today, you know, it really doesn't cost a lot to be a Christian in, in our world and society today. It really doesn't cost, actually, for some people, to claim Christ pays. You see televangelists tele and people on television that enrich themselves by talking about the Bible and Jesus. Uh, the, the apostles stood nothing to gain in that time. What would have been their motivation? To become the next televangelist and to own their own private jet? I don't think that was a reality for them. Was it to, to become the next uh, prosperity gospel preacher and own a, a 12,000 square foot house and with a giant swimming pool and a Mercedes Benz in the driveway? That's not, <clears throat> that wasn't in their mind. What, why would they have done this to promote a lie or something they really didn't believe in? Why would they have done that? For example, let's just run through the list here real quickly uh, of the different apostles. We saw what some of them had written in the New Testament. Andrew was, uh, was a missionary in Greece. And he was, he was, he was hung on, a, on a, a cross in the shape of an X, but he wasn't nailed to the cross. He was tied to the cross and left there to die for days until he died of starvation or thirst or whatever the case may be. He was left there and he would literally, while people were walking by, he was still proclaiming the gospel to them from the cross. Bartholomew or Nathaniel was skinned alive. And then he was crucified upside down in Armenia in Western Asia. And he was the most traveled of the disciples. He preached in Mesopotamia, in modern-day Iraq, in Persia, modern-day Iran, in Ethiopia and Arabia and India. And ultimately, he, after traveling far and wide, preaching the gospel, they, 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 they ex executed him by skinning him alive. And then he's still alive, and they nail him upside down on a cross in Western Asia. James the, James the Greater was beheaded by Herod Agrippa. That's in the Bible. These other accounts are, are historical accounts and tradition accounts. James the Lesser, who was the brother of Jesus. Now, wait a minute. The brother of Jesus. I, I have a brother, and you're, I'm, you're never going to convince me that he's God because I know him too well. He's dirty, dirty, ornery, rotten, smart-alecky scoundrel that bullied me, his little brother, when we were kids. And I would get on top of my brother, and I would beat him as hard as I could, and that sorry rascal would laugh at me. 
He'd be laughing the whole time. You, I'm not, you're not, not going to convince me that he's the Savior of the world. He's anything but. But here is a, someone who grew up by, with Jesus, really didn't believe in him, really didn't believe in him, but after his resurrection became so convinced that um, he proclaimed Jesus as his Savior and his God. Which one of you is going to walk up to your brother and say, you know what, you're the best brother. Actually, you're my Savior. You're my God. That's not going to happen unless something supernatural is occurring there, right? And James, the brother of Jesus, lived to be in his 90s before he was martyred. So it's not just young people that give their lives for the gospel and for Christ. He, he dedicated his life up until his 90s when they took him and they threw him down from the pinnacle of the temple repeatedly. They threw his body down. They, dra they dragged him up again and threw him down again repeatedly. And after that, they bashed his skull in with a club. Because he believed Jesus was God. What about the Apostle John? The one we're reading his own writings today. The one who says the word was with God and the word was God. He is the only of the apostles that did not meet a martyr's death. And it was only by the grace of God. Because uh, Roman Emperor Domitian had John boiled in oil. Which was a form of execution. The only thing is... John survived. He survived. And so then they banished him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. And when he was finally freed from the Isle of Patmos, do you know what he did? He traveled to Turkey to preach the gospel again. In his old age. That's how much they believed in Jesus. That's how important it was. That's the hope. The hope that he brought to their life was, whatever I do in this life, there is something so much better for me. And my hope goes beyond the sufferings or the persecutions or the sacrifices of this life. It, goes, it transcends all of that. And I could go on and on, and I could talk to you about each one of them. Luke that was hung, uh, who was crucified on an olive tree. Mark that was dragged to death. Uh, Thomas that was thrust through with a spear. Uh, we know about Simon Peter. We know about the Apostle Paul. Each one of these uh, martyred because they believed Jesus was God. But you know what? There's a fourth witness. And we see it in John 20, in verses 29 and 30, when it says, Jesus said to him, Thomas... Because you have seen me and have believed, uh, you're blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And, Jesus, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. My friend, you are the fourth witness. If you will believe,
that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He will come into your heart and life, and he will transform you to be his child, to be his follower, to be his obedient and faithful follower, and to give testimony for the reason you have hope in this life. You and I are the fourth witness if we will give testimony for the reasons we believe. Let's bow together for prayer. As we pray, would you just begin now to prepare your heart? I wonder, you know, as we observe communion, it's, it's an important time. And, and really to partake of the elements today, it's important that you know for sure that you're a child of God and that you have trusted in him as your savior. And you know for sure that you've been born again. But it's also told to us that we are to examine our hearts and we are to make our hearts right before God. So I invite you to do that as we pray together, that you would just allow the Spirit of God to search your heart and bring to your mind anything in your heart that you need to make right. You know, I, I think we've all been challenged today about the depth of our faith and the commitment of our hearts to truly follow Jesus Christ at any cost, to make him our hope and our rock in this life and in this world. Do you believe that Jesus was and is God? Do you believe that he died on a cross to pay for your sins and that he rose again and that he is alive today? Do you believe that he is Christ, Messiah, Savior, Lord, and God? Dear Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would soften our hearts and, and bring to our mind anything that we need to confess and make right to you. We humbly ask for your forgiveness. And may, our, may our hope be found in you. And may our faith be strengthened to serve you and worship you and follow you in a manner that is worthy of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.